0: G'day I'm Rob and I'm Dave and welcome to our first hot take of 2023 where tonight Dave we'll be looking at the Star Beast.
1: We will it's been over a year Doctor Who is back and we are here to give you our unvarnished unpolished completely off the top of our head <laughs> thoughts about this new episode.
0: Very unvarnished and very unpolished I must say. <laughs>
1: At least in my case. I have some scribbled notes here to kind of talk through. That's what we do on these hot takes.
0: That's right. We've only just seen the episode. We're recording this. A quick edit and it will be out in your ears. Alrighty, Dave. Before we get into spoiler territory, just in case some weirdos are out there listening to this without having seen the episode, do you have an opening comment on the episode and what we've just seen before we get into spoilers?
1: I will say that it is exactly what I expected. It was entertaining But it had a number of faults. But my expectation management was very, very on target.
0: Okay. I would say we were promised a a romp, a big, dumb, fun, Marvel-esque family sort of outing for this one. And I think that's pretty much what we got. And while I was excited for Doctor Who to be returning, and I'm excited to be here doing this episode with you now, Dave, this was the episode I was looking forward to least... In the three episodes that we're getting for these specials I already knew this story from the comic And the descriptions of the next episode Being really weird And knowing the toy makers back in the third episode Left me thinking before I even started this one Hmm, I think the next two episodes sound more like my cup of tea Even before I watch this
1: Yes, I think that that's very, very fair. Uh, we should mention here as well that we had a little pact between us, Rob, that when we found out what this episode was going to be about, you had read the comic previously and we're gonna dive sort of very heavily into that and you did a video on it and everything. Mm-hmm. I I had no knowledge of the comic other than sort of twenty seconds mentioned on one of the stupid fraction. Uh, little docos on, on the DVD releases years ago. Mm-hmm. And I and I decided to keep it at that level. So I, I was going into this with far less knowledge than you were just to see if that reflected our enjoyment of the episode. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But look, I'm exactly the same as you. When I say expectation management, I reminded myself that Russell T Davies always, always start his seasons with something incredibly accessible, and simple and fun in a way to get very, very casual viewers watching and not intimidated or alienated. And I thought, that's what he's going to do again, and I was prepared for it. It's what we got. So, as I say, my expectation management helped to keep this uh, entertaining for me because I didn't expect more than what we got.
0: Mm. Well, before we even get to that accessibility, which saw characters talking down the camera to the audience, no less, do you have a word of the week?
1: I do, and my word of the week is photons. Photons.
0: Photons. My word of the week, Dave, is pudding. Excellent. Mm.
1: Shall we kick <laughs> off
0: and go into spoiler territory?
1: Uh, yes, look, we should. And the first thing I'll just say is I thought this was an entertaining episode. I wasn't at any point sitting there going, this is a bit naff or this is a bit dumb. I was never bored. And so in terms of keeping me entertained for 59 minutes... Uh, Mission accomplished, two thumbs up, all very, very good. There were a number of points through the episode, though, where I sat there and thought, nothing's actually happened. Mm. And if you were going to do the plot summary for this episode, it would not be more than a couple of sentences.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, look, I'll, I'll begin with what you started with there. This story did move fast. When the meep was unveiled as a baddie, something... I, I obviously knew. Did, did you know that was going to happen, Dave?
1: Uh, did I know it was going to happen in the literal sense of the word? No. Was it astoundingly obvious <laughs> that that was going to happen? And was I not remotely shocked that the evil monoptera creatures were the goodies and the cute fairy meepy thing was the baddie no i was not shocked right at all so i didn't know but i kind of knew
0: okay well when the meep was unveiled as a baddie i thought to myself oh crikey that's a very early reveal but when i flicked on the the time on the episode i realized over half the episode was gone at that point so I felt the pacing was not too much of a problem with this one it did rocket along to the point where it actually wrong-footed me with that reveal I thought it was happening way too early but it was probably happening exactly in the right spot
1: no I I, I agree I, I wasn't sitting there sort of bored waiting for it to happen but I was very aware probably about five minutes before that reveal I was I, I did flick on the timer I sort of thought oh 25 minutes has gone by and We haven't done anything. I hope this is going to change gears soon.
0: Mm. Well, speaking of changing gears, not long into the episode, I did actually have the thought that my brain needed to recalibrate because this whole episode felt obviously different to the Chibnall era. And while it felt a bit like the RTD era, it wasn't quite that either. And it looked more expensive, but somehow had a veneer of cheapness to it on top, which I know must sound really weird. I know what I mean in my own head. And I was just rolling it around in my mouth, you know, when you go to a fancy restaurant and you've got a new taste in your mouth. And I wasn't put off, but I was just getting used to it. I could feel the gears shifting in my brain almost in real time. It was quite an odd feeling, actually.
1: Yeah, it was a very different tone and style to the chimney. era. I don't think it quite had that cinematic polish mm. that the chimney era had, and that, that's... That's interesting, I'm not quite sure what the technical reason for that is. It's something I'll be interested to see if other people have noted the same thing, but it did have a much pacier style than the Chibnall era. So that, again, as you say, it was something I had to sort of like, okay, yep, yep, we're doing we're doing RTD stuff, and the music's back to RTD stuff, and we, we have a, a exposition by news reports. I thought, yeah, RTD's definitely back. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I had a little bit of whiplash seeing Tennant and Donna back mm. neither of them are particularly my favorite doctor or favorite companion and there were a few moments when i did sort of groan a bit that oh we're doing this again okay mm-hmm. not my favorite shtick and i know i'm in a minority on both of them and i I'm, that's that's fine but i thought tenon particularly was playing the 14th doctor not the 10th doctor and i did think he made those characters different enough for me
0: mm. yeah that's fair I mentioned it earlier on, so I should get back to it before I forget completely. The talking down the barrel to the audience at the start was one way for RTD to explain to an audience, possibly even a new audience now that Disney's involved, what exactly has been happening. But even with that in place, I felt that this episode maybe had a lot of stuff in it that you really had to be pretty fan to sort of, A, know, and B, be invested in.
1: Yeah, when they did that opening narration, uh, in the back of my mind, all I could hear was, it was on the Dalek's home planet of Skara that the master <laughs> was finally put to trial," And I just thought, oh no, we're not doing that, are we? Uh, so, so as I'm watching it, I'm having this whole little conversation in my head going, oh, we're doing narration, are we? I don't like narration. Why are they doing narration? This isn't good. And then I thought, well is this the easiest and simplest way to just get this backstory out of the way? Mm. Yes, it probably is, so I need to to excuse it. And that that probably is slightly better than sort of five minutes of as-you-well-know conversations between, you know, the Doctor and Sylvia, for example. So I, I forgive it, but it did cross my mind, as you said, that it wasn't a great explanation. So I don't know how a complete new audience member would have found it. And I also, therefore, I'm not quite sure how much a new viewer who hadn't seen or didn't remember the end of the Tenet era would have really bought into the whole, oh my God, Donna could die if the Doctor does something. I, I, I don't know whether that whole thread of the episode would have just been completely missed by people or, or whether the performances were enough for people to grab that and buy into it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really hard for us to tell because we've known that storyline for the past decade or actually more, probably about 13 years now. About that, yes. Yeah. So, so it's really hard to judge. In, in some ways, you could say it, it undercut the, the power of that ending where he had to erase her memory and all of that stuff. Mm, okay. There was a review, Dave, on the BBC website this past week that concluded, although Doctor Who has always been progressive... This special in particular was preachy and by the end was little more than a delivery system for the message. I'm almost quoting it word for word there. And I thought, blimey, if the BBC is saying this about its own product, what's it going to be like? And yeah, it was pretty preachy in places. And I've got something to say about that, but I'll stop and give you a chance first.
1: Uh, I can see where that review is coming from. I think that there is a sliding scale across the episode. I I want to say that I thought Yasmin Finney did a really good job. And um, as we said when she was cast, Russell T Davies has always had a really big habit of sort of finding people in other TV shows that are popular or big at the time and putting them in. And Heartstop is definitely a very big show at the moment, particularly, I suspect, with the Doctor Who audience and Mm. indeed with Doctor Who fans who have been producers on the show. Um, Yes, including one of our listeners. So and so I thought, you know, it was very natural and obvious for RTD to cast Yasmin in this and I'm sure that if he can get Kit Connor, he absolutely will at some point. I thought that the scene where the schoolmates are biking down the road and calling Rose Jason and Donna's reaction to that was a really, really good scene that I thought was an example of show don't tell. I thought that it did highlight the difficulties that trans people face in their lives in a very real human way without being preached I thought that's that's a really really good way to have this character and to do this Mm -hmm. I think the scene where they did the whole pronoun thing I got what they were doing I think it was detracted from by the way it was written I think that they could have if they'd done something like, why are you assuming this thing is male? And the Doctor said, yes, that's a good point. And then, you know, had a whole sort of science fiction-y, space-y kind of comment about, you know, not every species has the same genders and we shouldn't assume. Like, you could have done it in a way that felt very Doctor Who-y, but I did feel we stopped Doctor Who, had the, on a very special episode, little message of pronouns, mm-hmm. and then got back to Doctor Who. So I, I wasn't annoyed at the fact we did it, but I wasn't. I, I thought it was done in a clunkier way than it had to be. When we got to the third point, and we got to the phrase "a male-presenting Time Lord," mm. that was that was where it crossed the line for me. And I've just gone, "Okay, guys, I get it. You're mm. doing this. I get it." I, and so that's why I say there was a sliding scale from me going, "This is a really beautiful, effective scene that is telling a message interwoven with the story," right down to, "Guys, we're doing this. Have you all got it?" <laughs>
0: Dave, it's like you've hacked into my computer and are looking at my notes. Oh, <laughs> good. So, so I'll be very brief now with what I was going to say. Um, I think some of the messaging hit perfectly. I made the exact point here that the kids calling Rose Jason and saying, you know, give us a kiss. And Donna being defensive was a great show don't tell moment. It told us a lot in 30 seconds. You also had that all the good characters in the story, in quotation marks, are... Absolutely down with Rose. They love her. It's another good show-don't-tell moment. Forget the guys on the street. Rose is absolutely normal to them, as she should be. The Meep joke with the pronouns. I, I... I... Absolutely get where you're coming from, but it did give the doctor the chance after the Meep said something like, "My chosen pronoun is, you know, the I'm always the Meep," and the doctor is like, "Oh, I do that because he is always the doctor." You know, that was a clever line. Yeah, that was good. I I like that. Yeah, there was the gag in there. You know, yes, it reminds us it's TV in 2023, but it, it was fine. Yeah, yeah. But then there was the overreach it was almost descending into parody when it got to those closing bits with Donna and um, Rose being empowered, literally, and the Doctor can't see the solution because he's a man. And I thought, great, let's just suggest half the audience has inferior problem-solving capabilities. I mean, really? Even passed off as a gag, it was borderline. I would ask simply, would you do the same line in reverse?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I I think you and I have kind of In Simpatico on that, I think there was some really good stuff in there, really good intentions, but it did probably just go a little too far at the end. Um, I think I should also mention as well, I liked the conversation between Sylvia and Donna, where Sylvia slips up and calls Rose he, and then realises that she's done it and feels really bad about it. And I just thought that's a really good example that, you know, people try to do all the right things and say all the right things and use all the right pronouns and 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 all the rest of that but but occasionally because we're human and we're fallible and particularly if you're from an older generation who's not quite used to all this Mm -hmm. you, you occasionally make errors and that's okay and that's forgivable as long as you try to do the right thing you know we shouldn't you know, no, nobody should be cancelling Sylvia because she made a mistake. Um, whereas I think some of the extremes on, you know, like social media would have. And yes. so I thought that was that was a really good balancing act as well. So uh, yeah, yeah. Overall, I didn't have a problem, but I think it, yes, it did overreach by the end. Yeah.
0: Now, Dave, we mentioned the comic strip earlier and I'll talk a bit about that now because compared to the comic strip, this did take in a number of the key elements from the comic strip, even shoehorning in this character called Fudge. ...who didn't have much to do in the TV episode, but Fudge is a character in the original comic strip. Uh, So there was a nod even to Fudge. Some of the bigger changes were, though, that in the comic, that ship needed repairing. It actually does crash and needs repairs. And the general population is enslaved... To fix it, not just unit soldiers enslaved to guard it Because in in the TV version it just lands perfectly It didn't actually crash So there are a few changes there There was a whole side plot in the comic Where the Doctor got captured by the Wrath Warriors They cut his stomach open They put bombs in his stomach while he's unconscious So he's, he's a bomb that they can explode if he gets near the meep That wasn't in there And even at the end where the Wrath Warriors say um the meeps off you know for 10,000 years in prison or whatever in the comic strip the wrath warriors say he's going to trial and they're going for the maximum penalty so basically the meep is a war criminal and he's off to space nuremberg in the strip <laughs> but that's watered down a lot in the tv version oh he's just going to jail for a while
1: um I'm curious mm-hmm the comic was was that over a number of issues was it one off how 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 much was the meep in
0: it's it's about six issues if okay. i recall okay so there's actually more storyline in the comic
1: yeah <laughs> and there was in the tv show and the monoptera creatures were from the comic i take it
0: yes Yes. Okay. Oh, yes, absolutely. The, the Wrath Warriors, yeah. yes. Yeah, the,
1: the, those things. Yeah, they were cool. I like them.
0: Yeah. And insert, I noted, was the Meep leaves by saying the boss is going to be very interested in someone with two hearts. Now, in the comic strip, that isn't a thing. The Meep doesn't have a boss. You know, I think this might suggest the Toy Maker is somehow the Meep's, quotation marks, boss in this, assuming all the specials are linked somehow.
1: Gee, so, you think? Yeah, yeah well...
0: <laughs> You know, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. but
1: <laughs> oh, uh, my, my look, look, my mind went instantly there. That would be a very, you know, RTD is not Moffat when it comes to arcs. Mm, and I, mm. I suspect that that probably, you know, we don't need to reach too far to work out what that was all about.
0: Yeah. While we're still in this territory, though, I, I'm also reminded when I was guesting on the Too Hot for TV podcast, I was talking about the comic strip of The Star Beast with Dylan about a month ago. And one of the things he was hoping for was a flashback or montage of all the Meep race going on its deadly campaign around the universe, partly because it would have looked really funny to see all these plushies on a deadly rampage but having seen the episode now, I think it would have helped audience understanding, quite a lot actually, to know that this meep is the last of a race who have actually terrorised the galaxy and are absolutely terrible, without showing the crimes and spending half the ep with the meep being super cute I'm not sure if that came across and I'm not sure it, it sort of worked that that's what the meep really is he's not a naughty muppet he's a he's a he's a horrible war criminal did did it come across to you dave that this is like space hitler basically
1: no and that is probably my biggest issue with the episode to start with the beep annoyed me a bit because it had a dobby the elf voice and i i loathe dobby the elf and mm. one of the highlights for harry potter was watching him being slaughtered so um <laughs> I know in a minority there, but I can't stand Dobby and, and the Dobby voice annoyed me. Right, um, okay. I, I, I think that whilst... I don't know whether they were doing the Meep because of Baby Yoda or that's just a coincidence, but like Baby Yoda, I thought the face of the Meep and the Meep sort of you know, in close-up was very well done. But like Baby Yoda, the moment you sort of pull back and you have the body, it just looks like a puppet. Mm. And it, it, it you, know, you really can't escape that. But in the first half, the Meep is just being this sort of friendly, coy, Dobby-like character. And I'm like, well, this is so obviously a red herring and not the case, so I didn't buy it. And in the second half, when it went evil, I also didn't really buy it. And by the end, I didn't really get what the threat of the Meep was. I know what the threat from the spaceship was. That was a physical, practical threat. I get that. But other than it having sharp teeth and being a bit of a bastard... No, I, I didn't really get what was going on. There was a kind of a line about the Meep's ate something or somebody, um, but it was delivered by the Wraith in a sort of weird alien voice. And unless you're really listening, it was hard to kind of get the, the, the mm-hmm. details of that. So so no, I, I, I do think the Meep didn't kind of land as a villain for me. Um, he may have, or it may have, the Meep may have landed for others. And certainly I think for people who were fans of the comic, they would have gone, wow, it's the Meep and Billy bought into that. And I think that for a general audience that would just wanting to be entertained on a Saturday evening for an hour, yeah, they probably would have bought into that as well. And mm. I think that's what ITT was going for. I think that in an episode, that's fine. This is what it's there for. That's a, so it worked, and I'm not begrudging it, but mm. as a, you know, hardcore fan who likes his Doctor Who uh, with a little more meat and a little more darkness and, you know, a little more gum than frock, I sort of thought, well, this is this is all nice and fuzzy, but who cares? You know, mm-hmm. if, if if the Meeps' evil plan succeeds, well, what what happens? I I never really bought the Meep as a threat.
0: Yeah. See, whereas for me, the the montage that I'm saying could be in the show. It, it, yes, it's, it's in the comic. You know, the the Rathwaros wow. are explaining the background and you see the Meeps and they're like peaceful agrarian types and then a, a sun or a black sun or something comes too close to their planet and the radiation or something or rather does something drives them crazy and they all become warlike and build ships and fly off into the universe and butcher whole civilizations. and there's these pictures of of all these cute fluffy things running around with guns, you know, gunning people down and all of this and slowly they've been taken out until it's just their leader left and the leader is the Meep and that's why they're on the run and that's why the Wrathwarriors are chasing them and so on and so forth. So that's the background. It could have been done in like a 30-second montage which would have actually been very funny to see and also very explanatory, but we didn't get it.
1: Rob, question for you as well as the yeah. as the as the Meep expert. Yes, um, I, I've heard the phrase "beep the Meep." I, yeah. Is that something we didn't get and should have got? What What's that about?
0: In the comic, before the Meep starts talking in English, they say "beep beep" and think. So this is where, because it's the Meep and it says "beep," it's now "beep the Meep," basically. Okay,
1: I'm. <laughs> probably good we didn't get that <laughs>
0: so, so, so they just haven't bothered going down that okay path,
1: no, we've we've lost nothing there that's very clear no
0: bernard cribbins and the wolf character was mentioned in this episode dave and we've seen him at table readings or at least i've seen him in, in images at table readings for this episode we've seen him on location yet he ended up not being in this episode I'm wondering what's happened there, whether they filmed some scenes with him and they didn't work so they re-filmed them or whether that they filmed in the same location, it's just in a later story, or quite how that's going to work. I think we will still see Wolf. I'm sure if they've got some of him on camera, they will use it. But it was interesting that he wasn't in this episode. I thought he would be.
1: Uh, okay, yes. I didn't realise that, so that didn't occur to me. Uh, the most logical or likely explanation is probably that he's going to be in the third one. hmm um, because at some point, I mean, I mean, we we know that Donna's not travelling with Shooty, so she either like you know gets killed or returned to her home planet. Mm. And given that she's got a family and everything, we assume it to be the latter. Hey, she married Detective Constable Danny Glaze. I didn't know that. <laughs>
0: there you
1: go. There you go. That was that was a cool moment. And I was like, Hey, her husband's Danny Glaze, that 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 guy from the Bill about twenty years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was a cool moment. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh yes. Given I assume that Donna gets returned to her family, I assume we're gonna see her family again and on this occasion Wolf, so probably he's in the third episode, that's my guess.
0: Well, very nice.
1: Uh, one more important point for me, and that is I just have to say the dagger drive was one of those concepts that looked great, and the threat mm. in this case was real, but was such a ridiculously stupid concept that my disbelief could not be suspended because the idea that you would design a drive where everywhere you land you have to destroy to take off again is just <laughs> utterly <laughs> absurd. and ridiculous. How does that work? You know, how does that work? And, and and yes, there's always stuff in Doctor Who where you sort of go, okay, well we have to roll that because it's TV. But I thought that is just such an impractical and ridiculous concept because no one would ever let you land anywhere. Oh, can I land at your spaceport? No, because you'll have to destroy it to <laughs> take off again. So I just thought that was that was utterly ridiculous. A couple of minor dot points for me: the Sonic Screwdriver seems to evolve and become even more powerful with every regeneration. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I think by the time we get to the twentieth Doctor, it'll just be you know the most powerful device ever invented by anyone, anyone in the universe as somebody who loved the Chibnall Whitaker era theme I was not a fan of the new theme here I think we've strayed a little bit too far from the original and we've lost the diddly dumbs at mm-hmm. the start I think that we've sort of gone back to that fanfarey thing which I, I don't really like so not a particular fan of the theme uh, love the console though in fact it's going straight to my list as my favourite console room for the new series
0: Wow high praise On two of those points on the sonic screwdriver I'll say yes in an in an age where I wish we were getting away from using the Sonic screwdriver <laughs> it, it does seem to be doing more. And also in terms of the uh, the, the dagger drive the <laughs> the way the streets were ripped up and then that could just be reversed and they were all repaired that was very in the forest of the night for mine after all the trees destroyed all the roads and infrastructure and then it just fixed as soon as the trees disappeared
1: yes they were so fortunate that all the fault lines it was opening were exactly along deserted roads yes yeah it was how, how lovely yes yes
0: <laughs> now before we get to our sports desk our words of the week dave what was yours again mine was photons Photons. Mine was pudding. Which one of us should go first on this? I want to
1: know what the pudding's about.
0: Okay. Pudding, Dave, because I think this one was over-egged in a few places. It would do so well and be pretty much note-perfect, at least for what it was trying to be, and then it would just do something a bit extra and over-egg the pudding. So, pudding.
1: I went photons because, of course, light is made of photons, yes. and this was very, very light. Oh, <laughs> Uh, look. Science, Miss Grant! <laughs> Thank you. Uh, look, I think the BBC got exactly what they wanted with this episode, which is something that was fun, visually appealing, entertaining. It mm-hmm. brought David Tennant and Catherine Tate back. It was pretty accessible to a you know mainstream Saturday evening audience. And I think after the Chibnall era, and indeed the Moffat era... This was exactly what the BBC wanted. They got what they wanted. Uh, It was probably a bit too light to really appeal to me. But I know, again, that RTD would start like this and then get deeper and darker as his seasons would go on. And I think he's he's foreshadowed that I think that's his intention and we'll Mm. probably get an accelerated version of that across the three specials. So light, yes, fine. That's, you know, that's it.
0: Okay. Shall we go to the sports desk?
1: It's been over a year, let's go.
0: Well, here we are at the sports desk day. For people who have not heard a hot take before, this is where we talk about our play of the week, foul of the week, and player of the week. Dave, what was your play of the week?
1: I thought about this and I'm giving my play of the week to the trial scene because that was literally just an exposition scene Mm -hmm. where several characters sat there and explained the plot to each other but the way it was written and the way it was performed with the wig and the trial and that sort of thing I didn't even realise it was an exposition scene until I sat back and thought about it and was kind of thinking what are are my favourite scenes of the episode so I thought that was a really clever and effective way to do it a nice little bit of play to explain everything to the audience without just exposition uh, it was nicely done
0: and pulling out the wig what a very tom baker thing to do
1: it, yeah and, and that's the thing every classic fan is sitting there and gone, Oh it's the stains of blood mm-hmm. um so yeah look i i had that moment and i think that was just a really clever way to do exposition whilst being kind of wacky and entertaining it was it was clever it was a good play
0: Alrighty, My player of the week, Dave, was the TARDIS reveal. I was wondering how it would be done from the sense that we knew Shooty has a new TARDIS set. We'd seen spy images of it some time back. And we knew the weird crystal monstrosity of Jodie's has long been demolished. So would Tennant have any TARDIS scenes? And yep, he does. And they look great. And clearly that lighting effect that it can do will be a thing i instantly thought disco i thought shooty Gatwa is going to have a disco in here (laughs) (laughs) those lights are going to go all colorful and swish about and there'll be a disco going on
1: yeah look that was a contender for mine as well i assume given the very obvious expense in studio space this will be shooty's tardis console as well
0: yeah i'd say
1: so it would have to be surely yeah rob what was your fail of the week
0: Dave, I've already talked about this, so I won't go on and on. It was pushing parts of the storyline, what that BBC article called, quotation marks, the message, that were already clear and present and understood. And it was like, yeah, we're going to push this a little more because some of you might not have understood. Um, Yeah, we understood. And any sort of message, I think, in any era of Doctor Who has always worked better when it's more carefully woven in. So that was my foul.
1: Yes, that's that's very fair. And and as we've said, they were successful in weaving it in in parts. It's a shame they didn't stick to that. Um, Look, my foul, I think this is going to be an unpopular one, and probably a very rare one, but I'm going to say the Meep, because I didn't buy it. I I didn't buy it as a real alien. I didn't buy him as a goodie when he was being a goodie. And I didn't really buy the threat when he was being threatening, or it was being threatening. So... Mm. I forgive it for an opening story and I'm sure lots of general audience and particularly kids would have loved it. So I get it, but for me, I was kind of like, I don't care about this thing.
0: Okay, and your Player of the Week, Dave?
1: I am giving Player of the Week to director Rachel Talalay. Mm. Now, Rachel Talalay has usually been given the big, huge finales to do and has done really good work with that and been noted before. But on this occasion, she took an hour of Doctor Who, a full hour that didn't have a lot of plot, that didn't have a lot of substance, but was able to get performances and cuts and directions that did make it feel really, really pacey, that made sure it never felt like it dragged. There were some really clever little camera moves in there, and I just thought the way that she kept that going, I could have been so easily bored or Mm. over it, or just looking at my watch and I wasn't and I think that's really down to the direction so a huge huge player of the week for Rachel Talalay.
0: All righty my player of the week is Tenant. he's back in the role it's like he never left he does feel slightly different as you mentioned I think less Mockney yet maybe which is to his benefit he didn't take it too far over the top even the why does it have to be this moment felt just the right side of angry and not over the top i thought he was very good dave
1: had the 10th doctor been more like this i think i would have enjoyed his performance better so yes I yeah.
0: agree. yeah absolutely all right let's round out with our final thoughts and a score will you or i take lead
1: well as part of final thoughts i just want to note that I was a bit surprised when Disney Plus, and we should note here, this is the first time we've watched a new Doctor Who on Disney Plus, so that was uh, interesting, and I'm mm-hmm. glad they dropped it at the same time they, it went out on the BBC, so that was good. It was there when we woke up this morning, yes. um, but I did notice that there was no next time trailer, which seemed weird to me, and put a quick tweet out, and um, Steve Clab from the UK has replied and confirmed there wasn't one on the BBC either. So it wasn't a Disney Plus thing. It was an everyone-didn't-get-a-next-time trailer, which is unusual.
0: That was ITV's Steve Clamp.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Friend of the show. Friend oh, the very show.
1: good. Um. So, look, that's that's just a passing thought I thought we should mention. Look, I, I don't have anything new to say. Uh, it was entertaining. It was fun. It was light. It was funny. It did its job. It introduced potentially, hopefully, a very large new audience to new Doctor Who. Am I going to come back and watch this one very often? Probably not, let's be honest. Am I hoping that we now go darker and, 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 and grittier and with a bit more depth? Absolutely, but it did what it needed to do. It did what the BBC wanted it to do, so it's a mission accomplished from me. And a score? I would give it... I'll give it a nice solid B. Okay. All cards
0: on the table for me, this ended up feeling like a long-winded way to reintroduce the series and these characters, which in a sense was its job. I understand that. The story was reasonably light and fluffy. It got all the playing pieces back on the board. So I can forgive it for that. Like I said at the start, though, I'm actually pinning my interest to the second episode that's said to be really weird. I mean, even the Next Time trailer that we have seen now on YouTube doesn't give much away, but it is said to be a weird episode, and I love weird episodes, Dave. And the third episode, of course, has the Toymaker in it, so great. This one's out of the way, rule a line under it, and now we can look forward to some real meat to get our teeth into, basically. For a score, you know I do numbers, I'm giving it a 7 out of 10, which is probably a
1: B-ish. Yeah, look, I think that our summations and our scores were probably about right.
0: Well, we'll be back this time next week to look at Wild Blue Yonder. But until then,
1: I've been Rob. I've been Dave. It's been fun to get back to do these hot takes. Good luck to all our friends and other podcasts who are starting their hot take process. Uh, And can I give a particular shout out to Trek This Out who are doing Doctor Who hot takes for the first time? And I'm particularly keen to hear what a bunch of Star Trek fans think about these new specials.
0: Is that right? I'll have to tune in for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, this is is where my Doctor Who podcast listening something ramps up, you know, significantly. So all these ones that I'm under the casual list of, I want to see all the reviews. So good luck to everyone doing hot takes.
0: <laughs> see you next time.
1: Goodbye.